0: Our scripture for today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, and it's verses 11 through 32. It's the parable of the prodigal. Hear these words of scripture. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and the son began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his field to feed pigs. The son longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, the son said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and I will go back to my father and I'll say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So the son got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And the father ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine, he was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they all began to celebrate. I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, this son who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, he was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our stewardship video for today is George and Jenny Gee. Did you know that Jenny that they were both members long before Jenny came on staff here as our director of education. And they share a bit of their story with us today. Let's take a look.
1: As many of you know, I grew up Catholic, Uh, 12 years of Catholic school and lots and lots of worship experiences. And looking back on um, how I grew up, I can say that that structure and that tradition really benefited me. Um, and also I can look at that and realize I developed a very healthy image of God.
2: I grew up Metholic or Catholicist. My idea was Catholic, so I attended worship services at a Catholic church, but my mom was Methodist so I did all of the um, service activities and social activities at my mother's church. Vacation Bible school, Christmas parties, potlucks, pancake breakfast. And that was my experience that formed me and my faith.
1: Since I only knew Catholicism and George was comfortable with it, we stayed Catholic after we got married. Uh, I got as involved as I could once the kids were old enough to start attending Sunday school. I started to attend worship more regularly and teach Sunday school.
2: I was comfortable staying in the Catholic Church. I was familiar with it. Being new to the Cleveland area, I actually enjoyed the anonymity. I knew nothing would be expected of me except to show up. And I was comfortable with that at the time.
1: But as time went on, I started to have some problems. I would attend worship service and listen to sermons and I was hearing things about the nature of God or what I was supposed to believe and I was struggling with it. I was having um, some inner conflict and I wanted to talk to somebody but I had a problem. One, I really wasn't brave enough or confident enough in my faith to ask the questions and I realized I didn't know anybody well enough to even have a conversation with. Um, I knew the kids who were in my Sunday school. uh, I knew their names, and I didn't know anybody else.
2: So we had a conversation. We decided to church shop. We were looking for a place where our faith could grow, where we could ask tough questions, where we could find that sense of community that I had lost when I left my mother's church. So we decided to come here. The first time we attended was the end of May of 2003.
1: So we attended that Memorial Day weekend in May, and we decided the next week we wanted to try one other church. And so we did. But we had really had a nice experience at BUMC. And so we decided on, to come back, and it was June 8th, of 2003. And we walked in, and we were greeted in the narthex by Skip Smith, who said... I'm so glad to see you. I missed you last week.
2: It was then that we realized we had found our new home. We found a place where we could explore our faith and we could find that sense of community and accountability that would help us on our faith journey.
1: And don't think that we were looking for easy answers. We wanted to be challenged. We wanted to know people well enough and become confident enough in our faith that we could ask the hard questions, that we could wonder with people and uh, disagree sometimes, but we could do it in a, in a safe place in a, in a way where we felt safe doing it.
2: And again, that's what BUMC offered us. You know, if was a place where we could be challenged in our faith journey, where we could ask those tough questions, where topics that we didn't know we could question and explore would be explored, and it was very beneficial to us.
1: And without a doubt, through the years, we have been challenged. We have had the opportunity to tear our faith apart, to pick up the pieces, put it back together again, and continue to grow and reform um, our faith.
2: Well, we've also had a place where people have supported us through the lows of life, have been there to celebrate the joys of life, and that's been a very important to us as well
1: and we have had quite a few opportunities to potluck.
2: And when we reflect back on this opportunity, we realize that this has been the place we were looking for, a place with a church family that knows us for who we are, where we know many of the members and can call them by name, and just really have that warmth that we were looking for.
1: And I laugh when I think back to the time we were praying, for God to show us the way to a faith community where we could feel at home, where we could grow in our faith, where we could ask the big questions. Um, God didn't answer our prayers in the way we imagined. God was very extra in how God answered our prayers. Um, We ended up in a place that was more than we could have ever dreamed of ourselves.
2: And since this is Stewardship Month, we do want to mention that there are several reasons we do give. We give to support the choir, to support Vacation Bible School, to support the maintenance of the building. We give to the many reasons that have allowed this place to exist and be a place that welcomes all.
1: We give because we can't imagine our lives today without this amazing, faith-filled place, filled with amazing, faith-filled people. Who have journeyed with us and been with us every step of the way as we've asked the hard questions and we've wondered the big things.
2: We give so that others can find a safe place to grow in their faith, just as we did. We give so that people have the same opportunities as we did and are blessed as we have been by attending this church.
0: Thank you, Jenny and George. We can clap, we're allowed. So today we continue our worship series of Grace in Action. And I have the honor of introducing to you Brian Sheets. Brian is the executive director of the Methodist Foundation, and he is a licensed local pastor and is pursuing commissioning as a deacon in the United Methodist Church. Brian and his family are members of Strongsville UMC, where he serves on their stewardship committee and their building committee and their leadership team for Royal Family Kids Camp. I have known Brian for more years than I realized (laughs) when I was thinking about it, and I always appreciate his truthfulness and his humor, Um, even his dad jokes. And so I am excited for him to bring God's message for us today. Welcome, Brian. Thank you.
3: Well, I appreciate the chance to be here. I will confess to you that both of my brothers were born in October, and as a young child, I wondered why I wasn't. That was answered for me today during your children's worship when I was... (laughs) very happy that I was not born in October. (laughs) So I'm going to start today with a confession. Um, Don't usually do that, but my confession is that earlier this week, I bought a lottery ticket. The Powerball jackpot hit $1.76 billion. I don't want to brag, but I'm at a financial position where I could afford to whip out $2 and um, not have to confess that to my wife, so I did. And Now, I know that the odds are not in my favor when I buy a lottery ticket. I know it's a a horrible investment. I know that excessive gambling can destroy families, and I know that John Wesley would not at all have approved of me buying that lottery ticket. But see, in my eyes, I didn't spend that two bucks to get rich. I didn't need the billion dollars. By the way, um, they advertise the jackpot, but once you take the lump sum and then pay your taxes, it's down to about a third of that. So it would have been about $580 million that I would have put in my pocket had I won this. Um, Not bad, but a far cry from the, the advertised. So I didn't spend my $2 for the chance to win $580 million. I paid $2 for the chance to dream, for the chance to say, what would I do if I won $580 million? I dreamt about buying a small lake somewhere in the Carolinas and building a house next to it, a house where my wife and I could live and our daughters and future sons-in-law and grandkids and friends could come and visit. It's not a bad dream. I dreamt about getting a $16 focaccia burger at Russ's restaurant and feeling pretty good about that. But mostly I dreamt about changing the world. I, I dreamt about a big fat get, gift to Playhouse Square my, where my wife and I volunteer and I think is one of the great gems of Cleveland. I dreamt of a gift to the National Parks Foundation to help renovate the National Mall in Washington, which is desperately needed. I dreamt of vocational training for every underprivileged child in Cuyahoga County and and the the systemic change that that could make to their lives and to, to future generations. And then I thought, what would it take for every hungry belly to be filled when the the Cleveland Food Bank says that they can feed a family for a week on just a dollar? What kind of difference could I make with that kind of money? For the church, I dream of retiring the estimated $2 million in student loan debt for young clergy in this conference. Amen? Amen. Amen. I I thought that might be well-received. I dream of every one of our 400 local churches learning about their communities and investing in them in a way that really makes a difference. Amen, Kathy? Amen. So what's my shopping list so far? I've got a house, I've got a lake, I've got an approved national mall, universal vocational education, no debt, effective churches, and a focaccia burger. I wonder how much of that $580 million would be left. Now the answer of course is that I didn't actually win the lottery because I'm here and I'm not in the Eastern Smoky Mountains shopping for a lake. So I'm here. But because I have half a billion dollars less than I might have had, does not mean that my story shifts from abundance to scarcity. Winning that jackpot wasn't the only chance I had to be on secure financial footing. I still have abundance, but I have less abundance. I can't end hunger in Cleveland, but I could feed a family for a month just with what I have in my wallet this morning. The line between scarcity and abundance is not a thick, dark, black line. And that brings us to the story of the prodigal. Well, most read this story, and I had always heard this story as a story of grace and forgiveness. It's really a story about abundance and scarcity, isn't it? First, the family seems to be reasonably well off. The prodigal knew that his father's servants would be well fed, and the father was able to give his younger son his half of the fortune. And it doesn't say anything about him having to sell property or or anything, so... I think they had pretty good amount of liquid assets that he could just give his son his half. The story says nothing of the father arguing with the son or talking him out of it. It doesn't say that money was so tight that the rest of the family was uncomfortable. Apparently, the resources were there to make this happen. That's pretty good abundance. Second, there seemed to be no shortage of things for the younger son to spend his money on. If if this were a contemporary story set in the United States, I would see the son going to Vegas. The movie, of course, would have a montage of him walking into a casino well-dressed, living the life, and as the montage goes on, the tie gets loosened, he loses the suit coat, hair gets messed up. And it doesn't go that well for him. As his own abundance was gone, the son was introduced to new abundance. The pigs on the farm seemed to have abundant food. They had more to eat than the young man had. To the point where the son yearned to eat what he was feeding the pigs. And he knew that back home there was abundance. The laborers had plenty to eat, food to spare it says. And it seems that they were well treated. But the abundance story really stops with the older brother. Well, on second thought, not entirely, because with the younger brother gone, the older brother had an abundance of work that he had to do, presumably covering his own job and that of his brother. At the end, he reminds his father that he had stayed home, obeyed every order, done all that was required of him, and received nothing in return. I'd be mad if I was the older brother and as much as this is an abundant story it's also a story of scarcity by the way if you want to understand scarcity sit in this sanctuary seven minutes before worship starts it was me and the Chen family this morning and I thought it is Sunday isn't it it is Sunday yeah Yeah. the prodigal saw a scarce lifestyle for himself staying on the farm where Where was the fun? Where was the excitement, the chance to see the world, those things that young men want to experience that was scarce on that farm? His life was scarce for the basics of food and perhaps shelter as he burned through his money. Imagine being so hungry that you yearned for literally the pig slop. His dignity was scarce as he walked back home hoping to be hired back as a laborer but one who could at least be fed and cared for on a farm where there was abundance. In the end, of course, the older brother is very scarce on grace and forgiveness. While the father had these things in great abundance, they didn't transfer to his older son. But because the father was grace-filled, he was able to welcome back his son, not just hire him as a new laborer, but really have his son back in the house and as part of the family so depending on how you read the story maybe depending on whether you're the older brother or the younger brother in your family you may read this as a story about scarcity or about abundance and i say the same is probably true about this church at this particular point in our church's history the scarcity is awfully easy to see isn't it now, I've not done extensive research on this church, but I'm going to imagine that there's a bit more elbow room in the sanctuary than you remember from perhaps decades earlier. I would bet that over a good potluck, because we're Methodists, I could hear about Christmas Eve where you had to get here really early to get a seat or get in the parking lot early to get a decent parking place so you weren't half a mile down the road I bet I could hear about how many kids used to pack the Sunday school program how many women were in the UMW circles And about all the little girls in bonnets and little white shoes on Easter morning but you look around now and you think the crowd this morning is a little more scarce than it used to be way better than it was at 10 to 15 I'll tell you that You look in the collection plate or the financial report, and you can see some scarcity, can't you? And it's scary. You wonder about the future of the church, and you worry about the future of this church. How can we make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world when it's not what we remembered our church being? And I have worked with church after church after church in the last sixteen years, and I go to meetings, and and the look of people's faces is one of fear, and uncertainty, and scarcity. Now, there's a saying that the internet attributes to Sitting Bull. It's on the internet, you know, it's got to be true, but I don't really know what this, the source is. But he said, "Inside you, there are two dogs fighting." one good and one evil and the one that wins is the one that you feed folks in this church this morning there are two mindsets fighting it out just like the dogs one is based in scarcity and one is based in abundance if you're looking you can find plenty of evidence of both of them is there scarcity here? Of course there is, but there is also tremendous abundance. I invite you, as you think about your relationship with church, to do so out of the lens of abundance. Focus on the good, the spiritual, the wonders of our community and our church. See it all for what it, for what it could be. My friend is retired for the Sherwin-Williams Company. He did, did marketing his whole career, and he said the best paint salesman is the one who could get you to envision color instead of the dingy walls that you have now. Who could envision brightness and clean and renewed. There are plenty of dingy walls around here. Now, that's not literal. That's not a criticism of your trustees. But there are plenty of dingy walls in our lives and in our church that need paint. Can you, I wonder, can you imagine a sanctuary without the elbow room where you say, we better get in there or we won't get a seat or or we won't get our assigned seat, right? Can you imagine pulling into the parking lots and it's tough to find a place to park? Can you imagine that? You know i know that in the course of the church year a lot of you really like christmas eve and a lot of you like easter morning It's your favorite times in the church i know that i'm in the right job because honestly my favorite time in the church year is stewardship season and i guarantee i am the only one in this room who believes that next may This church will be living out of scarcity or out of abundance based on what goes on a pledge card this fall. There will be lots of reasons to feed the scarcity dog in you. I I, I don't doubt that, like inflation and economic uncertainty. But there will be just as many reasons to see abundance. And if abundance is where you land, what a wonderful church this could be. So, although i didn't win the lottery imagine finding out that someone in this church did and rather than cashing it in and paying all those taxes they they came in on tuesday morning to pastor heidi's office and said here's my lottery ticket church can have If your church suddenly received half a billion dollars, what would you do with it? Last year, you gave 92 bikes to different charities. What if you could call those charities and say, you tell me how many bikes you need to do your ministry, and they'll be there on Tuesday. I love that you made your building more accessible last year, but what if you could help every person with a disability in Brecksville make their home more accessible with ramps and chairless and all those things that are needed everyone in the community could be blessed by that if you read how the grew church in the book of Matthew it's really a fairly basic formula right Jesus sees somebody in need goes to them, or they come to him, and he he helps them, he heals them, he, he does whatever drives the demons out. And they go back to their friends, and they say, there's this guy named Jesus, and he made a huge change in my life. I'd like you to meet him. And they all go to where Jesus is, and then he preaches. you'll be shocked to know that Jesus didn't grow the church through a Facebook page or online, although we're glad you folks are with us today. So what kind of a change in your community would half a billion dollars make? How many of those people who receive bikes or a new ramp or some help would bring their friends to church? Then you would have to start to get here earlier. I would hate to break that to you. Right? But remember, I have abundance in my life now, having not won the lottery. You know, perhaps the oldest fundraising joke is that at a big fundraising event, the chairman stands up and he says, I have good news and I have bad news. The good news is we have all the money we need to complete this project. The bad news is all that money is still in your wallet. This church has tremendous abundance. Here's the reality. Nationally, United Methodists give 1% of their income on average to the church and another half percent to other charities in their community. That's according to a study by the uh, Lake Institute on Faith and Giving, part of the Lilly School of Philanthropy. One we're called of course to give 10 percent now if you just got really uncomfortable saying oh my goodness here he comes he's going to slam us that we have to be tithing or we're going to hell that's not going to happen if you would like me to tell you that see me afterwards we'll have a we'll share a little conversation but I don't want you to think about that I want you to think differently Assuming that Brecksville is average, and I'm sure that you are decidedly among above average in nearly every category, but assuming you're average when it comes to giving, giving 1%, your proposed budget for next year is $630,000. What if instead of giving 1%, the average member of this congregation? your budget goes from 630000 to $6.3 million. That's abundance. That is a lot of wheelchair ramps and bikes and welcoming and love for your community. Okay, but that's not going to happen, right? But what if your giving went from 1% and went up 10% from there. So we've gone from 1% to 1.1%. That would generate an extra $63,000 in this church. Your budget would go to $700,000. And we've already paid the staff, we've already paid the utilities, we've already cut the grass, and we have an extra $63,000 laying around to change the world. That's powerful. So when you do your pledge card for next year, don't just say, you know what, I think we always give 3% more. So you dig out the, the, the checkbook or the last year's tax form, and what did we give, and you add 3%, and that'll make everybody happy, and we'll... What if you didn't? What if as you filled out that pledge card. You said. At least do the math. What would it cost us. To increase our giving next year. 10%. Or 25%. Or 50%. Do the math. All I ask you is to do the math. And then think about the change that would happen in this church versus what it would take in your lifestyle to make that happen. Now for some of you, that's an impossible to jump, jump, and I don't want to shame you or make you feel coerced. Just remember the story of the widow's mite. But for those of you who could, what kind of a change would it require? Would it require you to subscribe to one less streaming service or cut back on the cable TV package? Would it require you to hang onto that car for another year? Shave back a notch or two on your vacation planning? Cut back on how often you can have one of Russ's amazing focaccia burgers? What would that mean for the life of the church and the spiritual discipline of you? As you make the church a higher priority. What would it mean for this community to have a church literally in the center of the community with a great abundance of resources to share with it? People with disabilities would be safer in their homes. People who feel lonely would feel the love of God. They'd come to church maybe. Maybe they tell their friends about this amazing church right on the square that, that helped them and say, I'm going next Sunday, you want to come? And maybe they do. I don't know exactly how that would change this church. I don't know exactly how it would change the community. But I do know that it will never happen if we have a scarcity mindset, both as individuals and as a church. So I challenge you to be like the father in the story. Put a ring on the finger, put the best robe on, get the sandals, and welcome welcome this church into that place in your heart so that the community can welcome it in a more even more significant way. And I hope that you can celebrate all that you have to offer this community through your abundance. Because we're called to be a community of abundance, not not a community of scarcity, a community of abundance, and I pray that you will live your lives and operate this church in that sense of abundance, so that God's will may be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.
0: Uh, I'm going to invite. Uh... Becky and Emmeline to come up and to um, share some special music with us, but I have to admit that thinking about um, an extra $63,000 and the ministry that we could do, like, do you guys do you guys know what we could do? Like, that is just, that's so exciting to just think about, and I kind of geeked out while Brian was talking, just imagining all of the ministries that we could do. And it's such a beautiful um, way. And when Brian, when you said put a ring on it, (laughs) I thought of Beyonce. Um, And and how uh, giving and making a pledge is a commitment to the church. It's making and it's saying the church is important and the ministry is important. And so thank you for that image of, of Beyonce and putting a ring on it. And that was not your intention. I know. Good. Now, I know. See, and now I understand how people will come to me after the service and say, oh, Pastor Heidi, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I did not say any of that, but I'm glad that you got it out out of what I said. And that I feel that today. So, um, but <laughs> we are going to continue our worship through a um, beautiful song. And we, I invite those online to share any prayers, um, or any, uh, Concerns that you might have in the comments on Facebook or prayer at braxelumc.com as we prepare for a time of prayer together. Thank you both very much. That was very beautiful. We have a few prayers. Uh, Linda asks for prayers of continued healing for Bev, and Elena says, "Yay, mom and dad. Uh, she loves her parents. That Jenny and George's daughter. Uh, Marla asks for prayers." Uh, travel mercies for Mike, who's heading to Canada this week on a work trip. And Janine asked for prayers for a co-worker who lost her son this week. Um, her name, Tommy is her co-worker's name. And Shelly asked for prayers for Rob and his family on the death of his mother, Carol, as well as prayers for Miriam, who has Crohn's disease, and prayers for Patsy, who has severe diverticulitis. And Taylor asked for prayers for Grace and her daughter Jacqueline. May they feel God's love and know that God is with them. And I also want to ask for prayers for Israel and Palestine, um, for all of the people in that area of the world um, and the uncertainty that they are experiencing right now. And so with that, let us go to our Lord in prayer. Holy and gracious God, you are one, a God of prodigal grace. And we give you thanks for the gift of life and for each and every blessing that you give us. For family and friends and abundant love. Oh God, as we go through the challenges and the struggles of this life, the suffering and the sorrow, the bleak places of despair, May we be attentive to your guiding hand leading us back to you and your abundant love. We pray that you will be with those who weep and those who can't sleep, for those who have no peace and for those who seek a release in this world. May they each feel your comfort and your love. God, we pray that you will fill us with hope. A hope that can be found only in you. A hope that is sustained by your mercy. God, I pray that you will give us patience and stamina. You will uphold us with your spirit and your prodigal grace. God, transform us and all our broken ways. Transform us so that we can be made whole. And in our wholeness, O God, may we be your prodigal grace in this world. We pray all of these things in the beautiful name of Jesus and pray together these words that he spoke long ago. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The last thing that we do each Sunday is to remind ourselves That worship does not end here. Church doesn't end here. But church is when we go into the world to transform and to be that grace in action. And so we have a few ways that you can do that. And the first is actually I wanted to share. um, Kathy Decreedy, Reverend Kathy Decreedy, um, shared that any Tuesday at 5 o'clock, you're invited to throw a party. For the prodigal son and daughter at South Street Ministries for a community of 50 people who are in a re-entry meeting. And so you can connect with Kathy. Can you wave your hand for those in person? And she can be a point person for that ministry. And she shared that as a way that we can be um, grace in action in our community And we also have opportunities here at the church with our Stitch in Time, which is a a group that gathers together on Tuesdays at 10 in the morning in the parlor, and they knit items for other people who are in need. One of the the main things that they knit is um, prayer shawls for people who are in the hospital or who are in need and recovering and need that to be covered in prayer. And we deliver these prayer shawls to people who are in need. So you're welcome to come and join them for that. And then also on Saturday the 28th, we will participate in, and have a table at Trick or Trot. And so you're welcome to come. This is an opportunity to be in service and to be connecting with our community as a whole family Um, And so you can sign up to to help and just be at the table and just say hi to people and give out candy Or if you would like you can help you can donate candy that we can give out And so you can connect with the office or go to BUMC links to find out more information about that And then also I want to remind you that our October donation drive We have a donation drive each month that goes to a different organization and for October we are collecting art supplies for Stepstone Academy. And so you can put donations down in our donation station, a.k.a. the coat closet downstairs, or you can also um, order things. on sh- There's an Amazon wish list for that at BUMC links, and you can have things delivered directly here to the church. And then finally, in just a couple of weeks, after we finish our stewardship series and our grace in action, we are beginning a new study and a new series on dynamite prayer. Because as we discern how we are going to be God's grace in action in the future, we need to begin with prayer. And so this is actually a 28 day prayer experiment that for you to take home this book and it's quick little um, devotionals that have you praying these prayers of expectation. And taking all of the boundaries that we try to place on God and what God can do and thinking about that abundance that Brian was talking about. And so you can grab a book here in um, the entryway or you can grab one online and you can we invite you to do this at home. Um, You can join then a study that will begin on Sundays, and then we'll also be talking about this in worship. And so I encourage you, and then we'll gather together at the end, and we'll talk about how God is calling us to be grace in action and to to use the abundance that God has given us um, in the year ahead. So with all of that, let us receive our benediction so we can go and do God's good work in the world. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace. Go in peace and not in pieces. Amen. Let us stand and let us sing together.